Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Hey, good morning, men. Good morning. Come on in. How are you guys doing today? Good. Anybody awake? Yeah. Two of you. That's awesome. Hey, guys, uh, before we bring Ken out today, I just want to take a second uh, for those of you all that I have not met. uh, My name is Andy. Uh, I am on our men's staff with Ronnie and Chris. Um, I, I don't know how in the world I got onto a team with those two dudes, but uh, I feel some days like I'm the, the Bill Paxton uh, of, of the Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen era. Um, I just don't deserve to be there, but sometimes the ball comes my way and big <laughs> things happen. Um, so guys, uh, I just wanna introduce my family a little bit to you guys. Uh, I, I'm a dad of five amazing kiddos. I've got four daughters uh, or, or four extra wives uh, some days of the week. Uh, and then I've, I've got one little, one little man at home. Uh, the, the thing, I don't know about you all, um, but our kids, we've got an age range from three all the way to 17. So in one sense, I'm talking car business with my oldest daughter, and then you turn around in the other hand, and I'm talking Cocoa Melon with my three-year-old. And if you know what Cocoa Melon is, we'll pray after, after this is over together. Um, and guys, here's, here's the makeup of our family, though. Uh, my, my wife and I, we've got our two older daughters. Uh, back in 2017, uh, God called us into foster care. Um, and we brought in, uh, they, they brought to our house a two and a three-year-old uh, little, little boy and a little girl into our home. And man, I didn't know what to do. I, I, I'm good at raising girls. And next thing you know, there's a little dude at my house. And I'm like, all right, I got this girl thing down. But what do I do with him? And, and the cool thing, God has just continued to teach me over and over and over again through my mistakes what being a dad looks like. And, and though sometimes I try to hide those mistakes and I tuck them under the rug, um, I find myself often joking with my older two girls now that I tell them I'm sorry, probably twice as much as I tell them I love you. Um, and I feel that, that burden some days as a dad. Now with my younger three, um, I feel like honestly, they've been teaching me all along as much as I've actually been teaching them. Uh, and I don't know if anybody uh, in here feels that, but with kids coming in from foster care, I had a three-year-old girl walk into my house and I had no idea that she was walking in my house to teach me what the resilience of Jesus looks like. She showed up at our house, three years old, didn't know sounds, didn't know words, didn't even know her name, but she knew how to survive. She knew how to rely on what was in front of her and not take advantage of it. And y'all, I don't know if you all understand that as dads, but that's one of those things that I had to learn the hard way from a three-year-old little girl who now, she started kindergarten on time. Um, Unfortunately for her, it was during COVID. Um, She was that first graduating class of kindergarten COVID. Um, Her her kindergarten teachers on the back half of school, they were awful, y'all. I I know now that my wife and I were not gifted to teach kindergarten. 
Um, math for me, it got a little out of hand. But, but one of the things that I love so much about these kids is their pursuit of people. And that's the other thing that, that they have taught us. They've got this filter that we sometimes get guarded and, and we shut down or we find ways to avoid or we put up our own defense and we don't let people in close. And, and they've taught me how to pursue people. I feel the same way Jesus pursued people in life. And so for me, if I was to challenge you all as dads today, uh, just with a simple challenge, sit back and, and think through what your kids have going on in life and look at the times, how have your kids taught you? But sit down with them and tell them that. Um, that's, the other, that's the other big piece of that, is let your kids, affirm your kids. Um, I think a few weeks ago, Sam talked about prophetic wisdom. Tell your kids what they are giving to you. And the more and more we impress those on our kids, the more and more they're gonna pursue those things instead of level 10 on Minecraft. And, and so I want to challenge you just with this thought. Um, I, I sat in a, a conference a few years ago when I was on the children's ministry team, and I was given this quote, and it's really resonated in my head. And some days it's, it's a burden, and some days I feel inadequate. And I know there's some of you all that are sitting in here right now that, that you feel inadequate as a dad, and that's okay. You're not alone. The enemy's going to tell you you are, but you are not. And let me tell you, the biggest thing that I can look back in my dad's life, and I know is the biggest thing that, that this quote has challenged me to do, is to show up. And so author Josh Shipp, he actually came uh, to this conference, and, and the one thing that stuck out to me from all the words that he said, our kids are one decision from becoming a statistic. But every kid is one caring adult away from being a success. And so y'all, whether you, you, you struggle with that or you don't know where to start, it's okay. You just show up. And so um, as we get started today, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and have Ken come out. Um, last week, for those of you all that were not here, uh, Ken, I mean, just absolutely crushed it. I would love for you to email me at bbmens at secc.org at some point today, if you missed last week, um, I can send you a link to that teaching uh, last week. There is so much, that hour of teaching that he gave us last week is so jam-packed and so rich. And one of the things that you, you kind of challenged me with last week, Ken, um, you talked about um, with your kids over the years, the, the singing in the house, um, but also some of those things that you shared with all of the kids, but, but you also kind of, pursued your kids individually and uniquely yeah. uh, over the years. Um, so for some of us dads that are in here, maybe we're thinking, man, I've been, I've been a, around my kids, but I haven't been present. Or, hey, those things sound great, but if I started that with my kids today, that might be a little awkward or weird. Or maybe I've been a little distant from my family. Um, can, wh what could we do? What are some tangible next steps that we could take to pursue our kids in those ways that you well, shared last week. You're greasing my skids for this morning because <laughs> it's exactly what I'm going to be dealing with is uh, kind of the baby steps. You've got to start with some baby steps and not get into long jumps. So uh, that's where we're going this morning. Thanks. That's awesome. Well, hey, let's pray <laughs> and then uh, let's dive into it. Thank you, brother. 
Hey, Father God, uh, I just, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for his wisdom. God, I thank you for the heart you have given him to teach and share and lead. Um, Father God, mm. I thank you for just the personal influence that he has uh, impacted on, on me personally. Um, God, I, I thank you for the words that he is going to speak today. Mm. Uh, Father God, will you use those to fill us up and send us back to our homes stronger and richer for your kingdom? So, God, we lift up my brother Ken, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. And, guys, good to greet you this morning. Um, I have huge respect and admiration for you to uh, rise up early in the morning on a Thursday morning and come together to pursue excellence as dads. I'm with you in that. Uh, the greatest, uh, I think the greatest pleasure of my life has been to be a father and uh, to be a grandfather. And I'm still pursuing excellence myself, and so I commend you for being here and doing it. I ran onto a quote this week from John Eldridge. I like John Eldridge. He's such a manly author. Uh, how many of you have maybe read the book Wild at Heart or anything by John Eldridge? Really, he's, he's kind of a bottom-line communicator. Here's what he wrote on Father's Day this year. So let me say this as clearly as I can. You, Dad, are the most powerful man in the world, at least in their world. Your children are looking for you to answer the deepest questions of their lives. How you handle their hearts will shape them for the rest of their lives. Never forget that no one is as powerful as you are in the lives of your sons and daughters. Well, let's get down to business, shall we? We're intentionally laying a foundation to build a strong partnership with you, our Southeast Christian Church dads, to address the challenge of raising your children and your grandchildren God's way. And we've entitled these first two messages, The Most Important Disciples You Will Ever Make. And as far as you're concerned, as Christian men, the most important disciples you will ever make are in your own household. We're trying to provide uh, both the motivation and uh, the methods to ensure that Christ is formed in your kids from birth through age 18. And it's going to take a strong partnership because in this generation, the forces of spiritual darkness are moving strategically and aggressively against the truth that is revealed in God's Word and the character that is personified in Jesus. I don't need to tell you, in recent years, the scientific community, the entertainment industry, and the federal government have all jumped into bed with the ACLU and the LGBTQ Alliance and Americans for the Separation of Church and State to support atheistic evolution, uninhibited immorality, and liberal legislation that's destroying the foundations of moral and civil law in our country. And it's not an overstatement to say that the traditional family, the biblical family, and the evangelical church are under attack today. We have had two big victories over the past week or so, though, haven't we? Roe versus Wade has been abolished. Abortion is no longer considered a right. And Joe Kennedy, the coach who dared to 
pray in public and was suspended for it has been, has been reinstated by the Supreme Court. Pretty unbelievable swing of the pendulum back toward what's right and true. Well, last week we focused as dads on love and acceptance, how to, to establish that in our relationship with our kids. Love and acceptance. And today we're going to turn that coin over and we're going to talk about discipline and instruction. And I promise you, if you employ these methods with your children and if you let your church family partner with you during these formative years from birth through age 18, you're going to see positive outcomes in the lives of your children during their determinative years from age 18 through 33. Now, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says it, start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. That's the NIV. The Good News Bible says, teach your children how they should live, and they will remember it all their lives. And as you know, these verses are more a prediction than a promise. It's a likely outcome. Your children will not turn away from it. They will remember what they have been taught as they mature in the years ahead. But whether in each case they live God-honoring lives depends on the exercise of their free wills, whether they obey what they've been taught, whether they conform their lives to what they know in their hearts is right. Now, Exhibit A, in making the case for discipling your children in a committed partnership with the church during these first 18 years of their lives would be the families of our Southeast elders and leaders. Romans chapter 13, verse 7 says we're to give honor to whom honors do. So let's take a quick look at a few of our elder leader wives in our church. Uh, There you have Pastor Kyle's uh, family at the wedding of his number two daughter during covid uh, Morgan, and that big guy next to her is her six-foot, eight-inch husband, uh, Harrison. Then we've got uh, Matt Chalfont and his family, another uh, tall timber there on both ends. If you've seen them around the church, they stick out like a sore thumb in the atrium. You, you can see them. I think uh, Matt is at least 6'7", and his son Connor is about 6'10". Keep them going. More families. Look at the expressions on the faces there. Pictures don't lie, do they? Look at that. Let's see another one. Yeah, that's a big one. That's Tim Hester, our executive pastor, and he's just got a measly 10 kids. So uh, uh, I think he must be a displaced Catholic uh, or something because that's a lot of kids there, 10 of them. Great brother. Another brother, great soul, works in our... uh, First step room every weekend with his precious daughter. Look at that face. Keep it going. There's another one. There's Chad Russell and his family. He's got a basketball. He's got one extra. He's got, a, he's got five players plus one for the bench. They're all boys. Unbelievable. There's Matt Reagan and his tribe. And uh, these are brothers who have pursued excellence as dads and our exemplary family men in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, it says that an elder, a church leader, is to rule his household well. And I think uh, in the King James, ruling your household well kind of communicates that you're a, you're a dictator or a tyrant. 
And a better way to maybe say that would be he leads his family well. He teaches his family well. He disciples his family well. Well, once again this week, we find Jesus with his disciples around a table. And the occasion this time is the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22. And this time, Jesus models not love and acceptance, but he models discipline and instruction in the process of discipling the twelve. And once again, this week, there's some valuable application for us as we seek to disciple our children around the tables in our homes. Now, this is especially relevant to dads, and the words of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 are very specific. Fathers, do not exasperate, do not confuse, do not irritate your children, but instead bring them up, here it is, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to be the ones who monitor and ensure the progress of their children in the areas of godly behavior and godly attitudes. So let's look at what transpired that final night that Jesus spent with the twelve around a table, and as dads, we're going to come away with some valuable counsel to help us make disciples of our own children. Here we go. I want you to notice, first of all, it's important that we instruct them or teach them to remember what's most important. Luke twenty-two fourteen. 14, the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, as a church, we have a high view of the two sacraments that Jesus instituted while he walked on the earth, baptism and the Lord's Supper, or communion. Scripture teaches us that special grace is conferred on those who observe them. Now, some people will say, well, you make communion too common by observing it every Lord's Day. But how can it become too common if it's the centerpiece of our weekly worship services? And I don't know anyone observing it weekly who considers it to be common, but I do know many families that have landed at Southeast because communion is offered weekly and not just annually or quarterly or whenever the pastor feels like it's a good time. Jesus considered it a priority. He said, do this as often as you meet together in my name, in remembrance of me. Those words right there. In remembrance of me. Those words were carved into the communion table that was front and center in the worship center in my home church. And I'll never forget the Saturday afternoon when some of us teenagers were there in the worship center and we were just talking and I uh, just uh, was first leaning on the communion table, and then I was sitting on the communion table as we talked. And I remember our pastor came in and called me down in front of my friends 
for sitting on the communion table. And it was a good lesson for me that the Lord's Supper communion was not something that should be treated as commonplace. Well, teach your children. Here's the application. Here's the application for us as dads. Teach your children what is most important in life. What is that? To remember Jesus. That's what it is. Not to forget Jesus. To honor and worship and be mindful of Jesus every day. Not just when the church assembles, but every day and in every circumstance of life. So how do you do that? Well, one way, I, I think, is, uh, is to play Christian music in your home. There's something about worship music, Christian music, in the backdrop of your family life that helps you to remember Jesus. You buy Christian books, and you subscribe to Christian publications, and you hang pictures and plaques on your walls, and you watch movies together, a series like The Chosen or a classic like Ben-Hur or The Ten Commandments. Be creative in instructing your children to remember what is most important. The young boy came to Sunday school late, the teacher knew he was usually very prompt, so she asked him if anything was wrong. The boy replied, no, that he was going fishing, but his dad told him he needed to go to church instead. And the teacher was very impressed and asked the boy if his dad had explained to him why it was more important to worship than to go fishing on the Lord's Day, to which the boy replied, yes, he did. Dad said he didn't have enough bait for both of us, and there's both there's both comedy and tragedy in this little story. Dads, teach them to remember what is most important. Protect the bond between your children and the Lord Jesus. Instruct them. Discipline and instruction, instruct them in what's most important, and that's Jesus. Secondly, discipline them to be Truthful, that is, confront them about their secrets. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 21 to 23. Jesus said, again, this is around the table, the Last Supper. Jesus said, the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question him among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now, are you as amazed as I am that Judas even showed up at the Last Supper? He had already arranged to betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies for the price of a slave. He came to the Last Supper with a very dark secret. He was really living a lie here. And Jesus confronted the elephant in the room. He said, My betrayer, has his hand on the table with me right now. And can't you see the disciples all lifting their hands off the table? And in this moment of truth, Judas could have repented. He could have. 
He could have come clean. He could have said, okay, I confess it's me, Lord. I'm really sorry, brothers. I was weak. I was wrong. I won't go through with it. When he was confronted, he should have confessed. He should have told the truth, but he didn't do that. Dads, in discipling your children, discipline them to be truthful, not to lie, not to cover up. Insist that they not live with secrets. And in this day and time, it's never been more convenient for your kids, particularly your teens, to live with secrets. You've got to have safeguards on your computers at home. You've got to have it. You've got to monitor the cell phones if your children have cell phones. You've got to do it. I would suggest that at night when they go to bed that they put their cell phone away or put it on a charger in another room, that they not take the cell phone with them to bed at night and stay up scrolling uh, until 2 o'clock in the morning. You know as well as I do what it's like to be curious in your teenage years. And you know where the pitfalls and the potholes are out there to get hold of your mind first and then get a hold of your vocabulary second and then get a hold of your behavior third. Start when they're young and you'll be glad if you do. I said that we raised our kids with just three spanking offenses. The kids understood and, and I understand that spanking is rather controversial and, and it is a matter of opinion. Um, but we did have three spanking offenses. They were these. Number one, willful disobedience. You know, if they rocked on their heels and said, I'm not going to do that, that was a problem. Willful disobedience. Number two, disrespectful speech. They could express themselves to each other and to their mother and I. Even they could express dissent, but they had to do it respectfully. No disrespectful speech. And the third was lying. Those are the three spanking offenses. And they, the kids learned pretty early, hey, if we don't do these three things, our life is going to be pretty pleasant. The toughest discipline was for lying. And I counsel you to attach consequences of some kind. It doesn't have to be spanking, but you've got to attach consequences of some kind to lying, even if you know it's going to be unpleasant. Because if you don't attach consequences to their practice of lying, life will. Life will give them the back of its hand in ways that you're a paddle on their backside will be far less, less painful. Don't let this one go. This is definitely a hill worth dying on for their sake. And here are some practical tips to uh, reinforce truth-telling in your home. Uh, number one, read all about it. Books about honesty can help, particularly when they're very young. There's some great books. I remember some of the titles. Uh, Princess Kim and the Lie That Grew. That's a good one for kids. There's this one. Tell the Truth, B.B. Wolf. I don't expect you to remember these, but just, I'm just telling you, for kids, these are great entryways to teach them about honesty and truth-telling. 
And there are a lot of others in our resource center. There's a wealth of material in our resource center in, uh, in the big house. Uh, the, the Odyssey series for kids from Focus on the Family is another good resource. Our grandkids, when they would visit at our house, we would have them fall asleep listening to the Odyssey series from Focus on the Family. They can listen to Bible-related stories about truth-telling as they drift off to sleep at night. It's a good thing. Read all about it. Secondly, set an example. Kids learn about truth from you. So think about the negative message you're sending to your kids when you break promises to them or when you concoct an excuse to stay home from work or you badmouth your relatives or when you say to your kids, tell them I'm not here. Carlton Kendrick is a family therapist and he's the author of a great book <laughs> with a great title. Here it is. Take out your nose ring, honey. We're going to grandma's. It's about the blind spots that parents have when they sow these little seeds of dishonesty in their children. I, uh, I read a blog uh, piece by uh, Bob Russell here in the last couple of days. And here's, here's what he said in his blog. They're listening when you talk at the dinner table about the coworker who's having an affair with the supervisor and then you smirk about it. They listen when you curse or make a racial slur against a driver who cuts in front of you in traffic. They observe your intake of alcohol and how it negatively affects your patience and personality. They notice whether you treat their mother with thoughtfulness or with neglect. They are learning when you help them with their homework and finally say, let me just do it for you. There's a deadline tomorrow and I'm tired. They see how upset you become when you're cheated out of money or your favorite possession is damaged. They are aware of the kind of television programs and videos you watch. They hear you say Jesus comes first, but see you choose sports or weekends at the lake over attending worship. How you act has a far greater impact on your children than sporadic church attendance or a few minutes of prayer at a meal. So set an example. Uh, thirdly, give kudos for honesty. Rewarding truthful behavior is the best way to make it happen again. So when your five-year-old owns up to accidentally knocking over his sister's dollhouse, praise him for telling the truth, affirm him for confessing. That doesn't mean he gets out of cleaning up the mess. Give kudos for honesty. I remember uh, at age 16, just learning to drive, I uh, finally nagged my dad into trading cars. We had a 1960 Chevrolet Biscayne, <laughs> olive green, and no equipment but an AM radio and an automatic transmission. Uh, my senior year in high school, my dad came home with a 1964 white with white interior Chevrolet Supersport. I was in heaven and um, drove it every 
time I got a chance. But you know, what I would do sometimes is I would take the air cleaner off because if you take the air cleaner off and you step down on the accelerator, you guys know what it does. You know, I thought, that's, uh, that's fun. Until, uh, and, and of course, I'd always replace the air cleaner. And um, so I remember the day that uh, my dad said, son, I uh, noticed that the air cleaner had fingerprints on it. You know anything about that? Well, I knew all about it, obviously. And uh, I was silent at first, and then I knew he had, he had the proof. He had the evidence. He didn't need to get the fingerprints checked. Uh, he knew whose fingerprints they were, and so did I. And I said, Dad, I, I, t- I took the air cleaner off uh, to drive the car, and I like to accelerate and listen to the... Well, he, uh, he said, Son, I appreciate you telling me the truth. It'll be two weeks before you touch the car again, but I really appreciate you telling me the truth. It means a lot. Uh, it means a lot to me. That's what I'm talking about by kudos for honesty. I never took the air cleaner off again. <laughs> Make them apologize. Fourthly, read all about it. Set an example. Give kudos for honesty. Make them apologize. Whether they're preschoolers or teenagers, they need to learn to say those four little three-word statements that are so critical to healthy relationships with family and friends throughout life. You know what they are? I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Four little three-word statements. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. It's amazing how many grown-ups, even some senior adults, have never learned to say these words. What else here? Well... Instruct them to be humble, to be servant-spirited. Take a look. Luke 22, 24. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead... The greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. Well, we're all familiar with the disciples jockeying for position. took place more than once uh, during the Lord's time with them. And it often happens in our homes with our own children, doesn't it? Well, this is one of those occasions when the disciples talked about who was the greatest. Last Supper was bad timing for sure. But once again, Jesus takes time to patiently correct their thinking and to teach them his better way. And he tells them, don't be like the Gentiles, the rulers that you resent so much. He said, humbly serving is the way to true greatness. And of course, he punctuated that by getting down and washing their feet. Well, in our kid-centric culture in 2022, we risk raising up a generation of young adults who feel entitled. If they're not required to work in the home or out of the home, if they have unlimited TV channels with every imaginable program and electronic devices with every available entertainment option, it will limit their creativity, it will limit their initiative, it will limit their work ethic. The satisfaction and fulfillment of serving others 
are not experiences that kids today will have without intentional parental intervention. I remember asking the kids uh, on one occasion when they became young adults, what holidays do you remember? What were your favorite holidays and what were your favorite things about those holidays? And they mentioned Thanksgiving. And what they mentioned about Thanksgiving was that that was the day that we all went down to the mission downtown and we gathered up meals and delivered them to the homes of uh, the elderly and isolated and the poor in our community. And I guess it wasn't surprising to me, but those kinds of experiences, having, exposing your kids to those kinds of experiences will be formative in their lives. And so provide those opportunities, those experiences. Be intentional about it. Um, a married couple was fussing constantly about how rich and how important and how influential each of their respective families were. And finally, the wife got fed up and she said, Okay, I will admit to one thing. Your in-laws are much better than mine. Now, this is what the disciples should have taken away from the teaching of Jesus about true greatness. Listen, even if you win the argument about being the greatest, <laughs> you lose because the greatest shall be the least, and the least shall be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So make sure your children learn about humility and about a servant spirit at your family table. I remember a time when our 10-year-old grandsons were staying with us during vacation Bible school week over in Evansville, Indiana. And one evening after dinner at home, these two 10-year-old grandsons got up without saying a word, took our dishes to the sink, and proceeded to clear the table. And Kayleen looked at, and I looked at each other and said, I don't remember our kids doing this. And, of course, we made sure to let our grandsons know how impressed we were that they took the initiative to do that. Even though it probably had something to do with the fact that they wanted to hurry up and get over to the church lawn for the big fireworks display. But one more thing in this passage this morning, guys. Discipline them, warn them to be faithful. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, Jesus said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, there are two powerful discipling influences found in this encounter. One is a prayer, and the other is a warning. Jesus told Peter here that he had prayed for him by name. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. And then Jesus warned Peter about what was coming so he could avoid failing. Brothers, I know that people can get a little tired of hearing their pastors illustrate from their family life, and I get that. 
I want to tell you this morning, we did not do everything right, like most of you. My wife and I were in our 20s and 30s and 40s when we brought up our kids. And there's a long list of what I would do differently with our children if I could do it over again. And I could share my failures and shortcomings as a father, like, like the times I was unfocused and irritable and being gone from home too much and being too much of a tightwad and being too restrictive about insignificant matters and being too much of a detective and not trusting my kids as much as I should. Being a, an impulsive Mr. Fix-It, that was a big one, instead of a careful listener. But I can tell you a couple of things we did right. And here's my conviction. If you do the most important things right, then you can fail in other areas. You can be inconsistent if you do just a few things consistently. So here they are. A couple of things we did right to give you encouragement and the resolve to help you succeed in your most vital assignment in life, discipling your children. Here they are. Pray for your kids. Profound, huh? And warn them. Warn them to be faithful. So, here's my question. Do you pray for your children? Do they know you pray for them? Jesus let Peter know, your kids need your prayers above all others. They need to know that their dads pray for them. And I can tell you, every night when my wife and I turn in for the evening, the lights are out, it's dark, it's quiet. She has a shoulder that gives her a lot of trouble. And every night, I give her a really good shoulder and back rub. And as I do, I scroll through the names of all our children and our grandchildren and pray specifically about different needs in their lives. Every night, my wife and I go to bed with the time of prayer for our our children. I think that's a baby step that most of you could take. So the kids need to know dad's praying for them and and it meant something. It meant something to our children to see their mother's Bible and prayer journal out on the table. And uh, they were curious. They opened it. They found their names. They saw their mother's prayer list for their future marriages and their life issues. And they heard me pray over them at their bedside every night that I was at home. That they would be leaders and influencers of others for Jesus' sake. Prayer consistently, strategically, it matters. It matters, guys. And you can do some things wrong in parenting. I'm telling you, you can do some things wrong in parenting if you do the most important things right. And praying for your children and letting them know it, like Jesus did with Peter. Peter, I prayed for you. 
Your kids need to know that about their dad. And just as Jesus prayed for Peter and let him know it, he also warned Peter. <laughs> so warn your kids about what they will confront in life as a Christ follower. The peer pressure, the sexual temptation, drugs, alcohol, cheating in school, the anti-Christian bias in the media and the higher educational system, the materialistic values of a secular society. Warn your kids to be faithful to Jesus. Warn them not to forget Him, not to deny Him, not to forsake Him, and above all else, let them know that if they fail, did you catch that in what Jesus said to Peter? When you turn back, he said, when you turn back, yeah, when you turn back, Peter, you'll have the opportunity to repent when you make a mistake and you'll be received and will be reconciled. So, let them know if they fail, if they fall in life, that you'll be there with a hand out. And just as important, more important, they know they can repent and turn back. And they can recover from whatever that failure happened to be. So, this morning, guys, discipline and instruction, right? Fathers, Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The instruction, instruct them to remember Jesus above all else. The area of discipline, discipline them to be truth-tellers. No secrets, no lies, openness, honesty, reality. Instruct them to be humble, to be servant-spirited, in a day and time when the world is greedy, teach them to be generous in their spirits, be servant-spirited, and finally discipline them to be faithful until death and receive a crown of life. Guys, the greatest, the greatest undertaking of your life is not your career in the business world, it's not your academic achievement, it's not having your name on as many titles as possible, as many deeds as possible, as many business deals as possible. Your success in life when you reach your 60s, 70s, and 80s and you start, you start reflecting more, you're going to value your relationships more than ever before. And the greatest value will be on the relationships you've cultivated and disciplined yourself to excel in with your children, those relationships most of all. Well, this morning, I trust there are some things that you can take away and you can begin to implement in the chemistry and the culture of your own marriage and your own family, your own relationships with your children. I'll tell you, it's worth it. Every minute you spend reading, sitting in sessions like this, 
engaging with the guys around your table and sharing with them, letting as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpen another. These are the things that will elevate your performance as, as a dad. And one day, you're going to be really glad about that. Again, this morning, Kent and I, and I want to say a word about Kent next week. This guy's dug deep in this whole area of dads, fathers and sons particularly, but fathers and children. He's got a lot to share. Kent is up next week. Then we'll close the following week after that with our For Dads Only uh, series with a... Uh, with a panel of guys up here. So the next two weeks are not to be missed weeks as we continue to pursue excellence as dads. We'll be up here to visit with you, pray with you uh, afterwards. So uh, take time to engage with each other and engage with us if that would be helpful to you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for every man in this assembly this morning. And I know that each man represents a particular set of life experiences, concerns, issues. Lord, um, meet us all, each one of us, at our point of need. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be active in our heads and hearts, to lead us to be taught ourselves and to be disciplined ourselves so that we can bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And thank you, Father, for these moments that we've shared today around your word, for uh, being able to pull back the veil and overhear what Jesus said to his disciples around the table at the Last Supper, and to make the application of that to our role as disciplers in our home with our children. Help us to retain what we need to and to implement what we need to. And we thank you for the time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, brothers.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.